There's a quiz. You've got a quiz in front of you uh, real quickly. I don't want to take up too much of my time, but um, look through that. What I'm going to do is look through that, and I'll, I'm going to email you out the answers to save time this morning to keep moving. Try to take that. I'm just going to email you out the answers, maybe depending on how quickly I get through this today. I'll give you the answers at the end, maybe. So, um, but uh, I want to I wanna make sure we honor um, your time. I'm not very good at that sometimes, and honor uh, Greg and Anna Kayla's time. They're going to come up after the sermon and uh, a time to introduce themselves, to share about who they are, their ministry. Um, it's not going to be a Q&A time. They've been, they've been grilled by the search committee. They've been grilled by the elders. They're probably tired of answering questions about their theology and all that. And so this is a time for, for you to hear their hearts. And, um, and it's been a weekend for them to, to hear our heart and just for us to get to know them, them to get to know us. Um, they have important decisions to make, and as do we. And so hopefully, hopefully this weekend has been a blessing um, to them as well as it has been. I know it has been to us. So turn with me to Psalm 78. Psalm 78. And today we are closing out our uh, series on our beliefs. And as God would have it in His sovereignty, as we are entertaining the idea of moving toward a family pastor, and today we, the last, if you go to our website, the last theology we discuss, the last belief we discuss is on the family. And there's a lot of directions that I could have gone with this. There are there's a lot of ground that we could cover with this. And, and truthfully, we've covered a lot of ground with this, I feel. We, 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 I've chosen today an overarching, uh, a bigger, kind of all-encompassing purpose for us to look at today with regards to the family. And, and I believe that when this is done right, when we recognize this, when we own what we, what we talk about today, all the other elements of family, all the other things that we could have discussed fall in the proper context and they're learned in the proper context. We, we could talk about Adam and, and Eve being created by God, one man, one woman. We, we could talk about the picture that is of marriage. We could talk about the reality that, that teaches us that our, our sexuality, our manhood, our womanhood is determined by God. We, we could talk about that, the fact that that's not up for grabs. It's not up for you to determine how you feel or what you think you are at, this, at a given time. You were created male. You were created female. We could talk about that. We, we could talk about the role of husbands and wives. We could talk about the headship of, of, of a male, of, of, of a helper, and I'm sure that would bless everybody. We'll save that for Mother's Day. We'll talk about the role of a helper for Mother's Day. No. We could talk about the, the headship of a husband, the submissiveness of a, of a wife. We, we've talked about that. And, and all of those topics are worthy of deep discussion, and, and we ought to have a conviction about them. We ought to have a strong biblical conviction. And I feel like we've, we've moved in that direction. And, and not to say that we won't come back to any of those. And even as I was studying Thursday, I kind of, I study all week and I take a lot of notes and I make a lot of notes and then on Thursday I, I kind of cook the meal, if you will. And even Thursday as I was preparing this, I got an invite to a, to a conference at one of our seminaries and it was called God, Sex, and Gender. Th these are real issues. That's part of the reason why uh, on September 7th we're hosting the Silver Ring thing. This is a huge 
deal, but, but what I want to look at today, the, the track, the approach that I want to take today is a little bigger than that. I want to give us, not only individually as parents, but if, if you do not have children, if, you're, if you are single, if you are retired, if whomever, I want us to see not only individually but corporately the responsibilities that each of us have with regard to the discipleship of our children. I want us to see overarching the principle of the home and why God gave us the home and why God gave us the family. The family, the family, the home is the primary place where these answers, these questions are to be given answers to. It's the home. The, the home is where our children, our boys and girls are to learn to understand what we believe, to be able to defend what we believe. The home is where we learn to look at life through the lens of the Bible, through, through the eyes of God, where we learn to interpret and, and divide the Word of God rightly, where we, where we learn of God and His salvation, where we learn to, to seek to glorify God in all that we do, where we, where we learn the realities, as we'll see today, that there is one true God in Jesus Christ whom He sent. There is one way for man's sins to be reconciled, to be forgiven, for that sinner to be reconciled to a holy God. And those, those truths and many more all are meant to be taught in the home. The home. The home is where these truths were meant to be forged and taught into the hearts and the minds of the next generation. And I want to show us that today, but I want to challenge us with that today. The indisputable importance of your home. And the fact that that is the case by God's design. I want us together, individually but collectively, I want us to feel the weight of the importance of a home, of a family. I want us to have a clear vision. I want us to walk out of here so that every single one of us has a clear vision for, for not only our roles if we're parents, but our roles if, if maybe you've already raised your kids and, and you've fallen in the trap of thinking, hey, I'm done with that, I'll pray for you in doing that. That's an unbiblical approach. Unbiblical approach. If you're single today, if you're here retired today, if you're here as a wi widow, whatever your lot is, Listen, I have two children that I cannot beg enough for godly men and women to come alongside me and reinforce these truths every chance they get. My son, my daughter cannot have enough godly men and godly women pouring into their lives. That's part of why we gather. And, and so I want us to see that, that, that God has designed the home to, to be a seminary, if you will, to raise up Men and women who love the Lord with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. Psalm 127.3 says, like hands, like arrows in the hands of a mighty warrior, so are the children of your youth. And the question before us is, where, where are you aiming your children? Every single one of us as parents, listen to me, like it or not, believe it or not, you're aiming your children somewhere by what you're doing in the home, by what you're modeling in the home. So I want us to leave here with clear responsibilities, a clear understanding of the theology of our homes. Of how we can glorify and honor God in our homes and how we lead our homes. Because, hear me, the, the, the gospel, the gospel is at stake here. 
It was meant to be passed on from one generation to the next. And when we failed in our homes, we'll see from Judges 2 that everything falls apart when we fail in our homes. Future gener- Not only this generation, but future generations. My grandchildren, your grandchildren, my great-great-grandchildren, your great-great-grandchildren. The gospel is at stake here in how we shepherd our homes and steward our homes today. That's what I want us to see. And I think the scriptures are very clear. If you'll turn, if you haven't already, to Psalm 78. Psalm 78, we're going to be primarily here in Psalm 78, but also in Deuteronomy 6. The first thing I want us to see, first point, you see it on your handout. The goal and purpose of the family is to raise up generations who know all of His works, who hope in the Lord alone for their salvation, who delight in Him above all else, and who seek to glorify Him in everything they do before a watching world. If you're not overwhelmed already, hang in there. We're just going to keep putting more and more weight on the bar. Because the beauty is this, you're not in it alone. This primarily is to happen at the home, but what we're going to see secondly is that's why we gather. That's why we gather. That's why we corporately have the church. Look at Psalm 78, verses 1 through 8. Listen, listen, read this in your own hearts as I read it aloud. Listen, O my people, to my instruction. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known, and our fathers, important there, our fathers have told us. We will not conceal them from their children, but tell to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and His strength and His wondrous works that He has done. For he has established, for he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers, listen, that they should teach them to their children, that the generation to come might know, even the children yet to be born. Do you see how important it is that we're faithful? Do you see how important it is that we pass this along? That they may rise and tell them to their children. That they would put confidence, they should put their confidence in God and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments. And not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that did not prepare its heart and whose spirit was not faithful to God. Very clear here that the responsibility of teaching, the responsibility of passing these truths on falls upon the family. It, it, it falls upon mom and dad. You, you go all the way back to Genesis 1.26. We were created to be image bearers. Literally little, little, little gods, if you will, to run around. And everywhere we went, we would bear the image of our maker. When people see us, it would be a reflection of our king of our Creator. That's what we're to be seeking in our homes. The, the home is central in passing biblical truths on from one generation to the next. And what we see, and you see on your handout, discipleship best takes place and is commanded to take place primarily in the home. 
my main, I, I, I lead Bible studies throughout the week and, and, and do a lot of work. You know where my main discipleship takes place? Bradley Cooper and Sarah Grace. Bradley Cooper and Sarah Grace. God has given me two gifts. Those children do not belong to me. They've been given to me for a time. They belong to the Lord. My job, my responsibility is to raise them up in the fear and the admonition of the Lord to the best of my abilities. No guarantees, but I'm to seek it with all my heart. And if you look at, look at Psalm 78.3, which we have heard and known from our fathers who told us. Where, where, did, where did they learn this? Dad. Moms and dads were the ones that passed it along. Look at verse 4. We will not conceal them from their children, but tell to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and the strength and His wondrous works that He has done. This is not just about you and me. What, what this is about is generations to come that you and I may never see. What will they know about the Lord and what will they have deposit handed to them because of what we're doing today? Because of what we did in our own homes today. We teach our children not only for their sakes, but for their kids' sakes and their grandkids' sakes and their great-grandkids' sakes and so on. Even in this psalm alone, you see four generations, four generations being impacted. Again, this is not just about my kids. It's not just about Bradley Cooper and Sarah Grace. This is about the kids that they go to school with. This is about the kids that they're going to go to college with. This is about the boys and girls who are going to grow up and they're going to work with and serve with and be neighbors next to. Generations that we may never even meet what deposit are we making in our homes that they would know? That they would have something to pass on. And the discipleship is to primarily take place in the context of a home. And, and, and that's a long first point, and so I'm going to break it down. Each of those individual fill-ins, I'm going to break it down into bite-sized truths for us and show us from the Word how it backs it up. And you see there, A, it says, a Raise up a generation who knows. We're to teach. The word, so that future generations will know the greatness of the Lord and his mighty works. They're not going to know unless we teach. Again, Psalm 78, 6, that the generation to come might know, even children yet to be born. We, we saw in 1 Timothy 3, 15 and 16, what was the purpose of the church? The church was to be a pillar and a support of what? Truth. Truth. We're, we're garters of truth. We're, we're literally, if you go to 2 Timothy 2, 2, he says, faithful men and women, you take the truths that you have learned and you pass them on to faithful men and women who then will be able to pass them on. It's almost like a, a generational relay race with truth. I'm taking truth and I hand it off to, to my children's generation. You know what they're going to do? They're going to run a race, and they're going to hand that truth off to the next generation, and they're going to run a race, and they're going to hand that truth off to the next generation, and they're going to run a race. If you want to use another parable that the Word uses, it's a fight. 
one round after another. I'm, I'm fighting my round, and I'm handing it off. I'm tag-teaming. I'm giving it to the next guy to run the race. Passing the torch. And, and this is to be done in the context of the home. If you were to, if you were to flip to De- Deuteronomy, if you want to keep your, hand, your finger in Psalm 78, flip over to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 through 9. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Listen listen as I read this. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the judgments which the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you that you might do them in the land where you are going over to possess it. So that, listen, verse 2, so that you and your son and your grandson, you see the generational effect? might fear the Lord your God to keep all of His statutes and His commandments which I command you all the days of your life and that your days will be prolonged. O Israel, you should listen and be careful to do it that it may be well with you and that you may multiply greatly just as the Lord your God of your fathers has promised you in the land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. The Lord Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. Listen, you shall teach them diligently to your sons, and they shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. This right here, what you see specifically in verse 4, would have been the most highly regarded the most important commandment in the entire Jewish scripture. Love the Lord your God. with all, He is one. Love Him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Jesus Himself in Matthew 22 when He was asked, what's the greatest commandment? What did He say? Love the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And He said, the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. The, the first assignment, the first assignment given to parents after loving the Lord themselves is to pass that on to their children. And you see it on your handout. The home is depicted as central in the passing on of God's truth from one generation to the next. All throughout Scripture, it's central. Nobody will be around your kids. Nobody will have the influence over your kids as much as you. They they won't. Nobody spends as as much time with my kids as, as me and Karen. Nobody has the influence that, they, that, that, that we do. And both Deuteronomy and Psalm 78 teach this. And keep your finger in Deuteronomy because we'll come back there. But remember in, Deut- in Psalm 78, 3 through 5, when we, which we have heard and known from our fathers have told us. We will not conceal them from their children, but we'll tell them to generations to come. What they're saying is the word is the priority in your home. When you rise up, when you sit down, when you're walking, when you're e- even in our car, our kids give them a hard time. They'll say, Dad, give it a rest. We're listening to songs. And I'm asking, hey, what does that song teach about God? Well, why are you singing that song? What, what truths about God are you learning from that song? We're not just listening for entertainment. That song is teaching Daniel and I have that conversation. Very, he's very careful about picking the songs he sings. Why? Because we're teaching doxology. We're teaching truth 
even through our songs. And, and the most important thing for me to talk about and to teach my son and daughter and to pass on to them is not sports, it's not secular education, it's not about girls and boys, it's not about clothes, it's not social media. The priority is the Word. The Word. In our homes, in our homes, nothing can rival the Word of God. We're, we're to show our children there is none like the God of this Word. Everything flows out of that delighting in Him. The character of God, the promises of God, roles, how do we view all of those things go back to seeing this God high and lifted up, seeing that there's none like Him, and therefore everything that we do ought to glorify Him. Why? Because there's no one else worthy of getting the glory. And not that it would end with them, but that it would be passed on beyond them. Teach. They're not going to know unless we teach. But, but secondly, we're to remind them. We're to remind them. It says that they would hope, we said at the beginning, that they would hope in the Lord alone for their salvation. We, we've got to remind them of, the, of all of God's mighty works so that they will hope in Him. If, if you were to, I, I've been studying and, and that word hope shows up over and over and over and over again throughout the Scriptures. It's huge. Here, even in Psalm 78, verse 7, look what it says. That they would put their confidence in God and not forget the works of God. That word confidence is the same word as hope. Hope. Even Hebrews eleven twenty two, Faith is the assurance of things what? Hope for. Strong confidence in God. Strong faith. Weak confidence in God, weak faith. How do we build that confidence in God? We've got thousands and thousands and thousands of years of history. You know what it shows us over and over again? He's faithful. He's faithful. He's faithful. That's why we have the Scriptures. Constantly remind them. Even, even, Romans, even Romans 15, 4. Listen to what it says with regards... With regards to the, the scriptures, Romans 15, 4. For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have what? Hope. Hope. We, we look through the scriptures and we realize, I'm not going through anything that everybody else hadn't already gone through. And guess what? God was faithful. But, but it's not only my hope, it's the hope of my children. And it's the hope of my children's children. And it's the hope of my children's children's children. The, the home is where we tell our kids about this great God and we teach them. We're not just teaching them stories. We're teaching them truths about a God who is real. There's this history. It's not made up stories. These aren't fables. This is truth. And they're there for my hope and your hope, to fuel our hope. That's why, again, we're, poor, we're doing the best we can to pour, pour that truth and the reality of God's Word so when they come to a situation, they can trust and have a confident faith in a God who has never, ever not been faithful. But not only that, you see it on your handout, we're to remind our children of the mighty works of God be, over and over again because our tendency is to what? Forget. Our tendency is to wonder. That, that's why, he, again, in verse 7, he talks about that they should put their confidence in God and not forget 
the works of God, by the way, like their fathers did. If you were to go back to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 10, it says, Then it shall come about when the Lord your God brings you into the land which he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you great and splendid cities which you did not build, homes full of things you did not fill, hewn cisterns which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant, you eat and are satisfied, then watch for yourself what? That you do not forget the Lord. That's our tendency. You shall fear only the Lord your God, and you shall worship Him and swear by His name. You shall not follow other gods, any of the gods of the peoples who surround you. For the Lord your God is in the midst of you as a jealous God. Otherwise, the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and He will wipe you off the face of the earth. Teach that one tonight at your Bible study. The goal is to not forget. Our tendency is to wander. Our tendency is to forget. We get in a tough spot. Circumstances aren't what, they're, what we expected them to or what we would have wanted. How do you respond? What does your confidence about who the God of this Bible is tell you about how to respond? Corinthians 10. No temptation has overcome you, but such is common to man. But with every temptation, God is faithful. To what? To help you endure it. To endure it. No temptation. You're not the only one. God's not up there saying, man, I can't, I can't, how did Akeem, how did Akeem find himself in this situation? I've never seen this before. I don't know how to act. The Bible tells us that. But we've got to remind, we've got to remind our kids over and over of the faithfulness of God so that they'll trust him, that they'll be confident in him no matter the circumstance. But, but also we talked about delighting in him above all else in the first point. We exalt See, we exalt the awesomeness of God so that our children would delight in Him more than anything else in the world. We ought to brag on God regularly in front of our kids. We ought to look for opportunities to brag on the awesomeness of God, to tell of His faithfulness, to tell of His goodness, to tell of His mercy. That's what Deuteronomy 6 and Psalm 78 are all about. The ultimate goal is that our children would see that this is the awesome God, that there is none like Him, that salvation comes through none alone other than Jesus Christ, for He alone is worthy. That's the whole point, to delight in God more than anything else. To, to fall in love with the awesome God of this Bible, the one true God and Jesus Christ whom He sent. John 17, 3 says that this is eternal life, that they may know the one true God and Jesus Christ whom He sent that's eternal life knowing knowing and being known by god and and you see it on your handout the desire is that our children would have a real relationship with god through christ not just knowledge not just being able to tell the stories but a real relationship that they would know god in truth that they would truly love god with all their heart that they would love to obey Him, that it would be a joy to obey Him. That it would be a joy to seek to glorify Him. I think about Jeremiah 9, verses 23 and 24, that that would be, the, that would be said of, of my children and your children. Listen to what it says. Thus says the Lord, not, Let not a wise man boast of his wisdom, and let not the mighty man boast of his might. Let not a rich man boast of his riches. Listen to this, verse 24. 
But let him who boasts, boasts of this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice, righteousness on earth, for I delight in these things. You know what delights God's heart? It's children who boast in him as their father. It's children who trust in him no matter what. Because they've got thousands and thousands and thousands of years of history that says he's never once not been faithful. And what we, what we seek, you see it on your handout, is that they would delight in the Lord and that it would be a joy, a joy. Not going through the motions, not a burden, not, oh, we've got to get them to go to church today. Uh, no, it's a joy. A joy to serve Him. A joy to give your life for Him. But we've got to teach that in our homes. It starts in the homes. And not only, not, only those, not only those things, but we said that to glorify Him through all they do. He said, indeed there, we warn, we warn each other and our children about the consequences of turning away. Of turning away. That's Psalm 78, 8. Do not forget the works. or keep, Do not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that did not prepare its heart, and whose spirit was not faithful to God. That's what we don't want. That's what we do not want. And part of our, part of our teaching in our homes is to warn. It's to warn, to, to teach about the wrath of God. To teach that, that hell is real. That the consequences of sin is, is real. For the wages of sin, Romans 6.23, is death. Death. And what Scripture does is Scripture gives us examples over and over again of, of stories and truths that we can learn from, that we can teach our children through others' mistakes. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 6, Paul says that. He says, These things happened as examples for us so that we would not crave evil things as they craved. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, these people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play. Nor let us act immorally as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in one day. Nor let us try the Lord as some of them did, and they were destroyed by the serpents. Nor grumble as some of them did, and they were destroyed by the destroyer. These things, verse 11, happened as an example that they were written for our instruction. Warnings. They're warnings. Hebrews 12, 7-10, the Lord disciplines those whom He loves. Warning. God hates sin. He's going to deal with it, but He also made a, made a, a way for our sin to be forgiven. Hebrews 2, he says around in verse 8 or so, or I mean in verses 1 and 2, it says, we who, basically, we who have been given so much, do you think if those in the Old Testament, if they did not suffer judgment by trampling on the truth of God, we who have seen Christ and we trample on the truth of God, will we not endure much stricter judgment? We, we have the whole revelation here. Romans 11, verses 17 and following, Paul says the, the same thing to, the, to the, the, the gap between the Jew and the Gentile, and the Gentile was boasting, and he says, you know, guys, you're, you're, you're in, Gentile, because of the Israel's faithfulness. Don't boast. He says, I judge them, I'll judge you too. And he says in verse 20, Behold then the kindness 
and the severity of God to those who fail severity, but to you, God's kindness, if you continue in his kindness, otherwise you'll be cut off. It's a warning. No different than when you say, son, daughter, if you touch that stove, it's going to burn you. I'm warning you. Part of what we do in our homes is we warn. It's hiding. Our, our job, our responsibility is to hide God's word, Psalm 119, 9 through 16, in our children's heart. Why? That they might not sin against God. That they would see his awesomeness and they would tether their heart to this one true God. Again, no guarantees. No guarantees in parenting. But we give it our all. And what we see, you see on your handout in Scripture, is that there is a connection between delighting in God through His Word residing in our hearts and fleeing sin. Constantly, the God of this Word is held up as awesome, and He's saying, in view of that, flee sin. In view of all that He's done, flee sin. You've tasted, oh, taste and see, the Bible says, that the Lord is good. Jeremiah Your words became honey, and I ate them. You've tasted something great. Now all of a sudden, that has no no appetite for that anymore. Why? Because I've tasted something better. That's our job as parents, our responsibility. It's to introduce them to this one true God and Jesus Christ whom He sent. So all of a sudden, more and more in their lives, as they fall in love with this God, that stuff over there that Satan offers, they have a distaste for it. Why? Because they've tasted God. The awesomeness of God. And ultimately all of this is connected to the gospel. That though we were great sinners, God in His great mercy sent His one and only Son who knew no sin to be sent on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God. We sang about it this morning under Daniel's leadership and I was grateful for that and even his words about the weight I think I read, I saw a video, there are seven and a half, something like seven and a half billion people on this earth today. Well, in all of history, there's been about seven and a half billion people as as well in total. And do you realize 15 billion people, the sins of 15 billion people, plus all those to come, fell on Jesus Christ. I, I, I I wouldn't want to bear the weight of just my sin. Never mind the weight of 15 billion plus people's sin. Isaiah, though your sins were as scarlet, they could be white as snow. John 1, every single day when you wake up, of all His fullness we have all received in grace upon grace. Romans 5.20, where your sin abounds, Grace much more abounds. And the character, you see it, the character and faithfulness on your hand out there anchors our hope. We warn and we remind because we want our children's hope to be anchored in the character of God, to fuel our perseverance. Because the problem, the problem is we don't want to be like what we saw in Judges 2. In Judges 2, verses 6 through 14, you, 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 you see very clearly what happens when we don't take these things seriously. It's Joshua 2. That won't work. I started reading it. I'm thinking, that ain't what I wanted. 
Listen to what he says. When Joshua had dismissed the people, the sons of Israel went to, this, went to his inheritance to possess the land. The people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who survived Joshua, who had seen the great work of the Lord which he had done for Israel. Then Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110, and they buried him in the territory of his inheritance in Timorous in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gosh. And that generation also were gathered to their fathers. So you have a generation who loved the Lord died. And there arose another generation after them, listen, who did not know the Lord, nor yet the work which he had done for Israel. And the story goes on. They begin to serve false gods. They begin to sacrifice their children. They begin to do everything that the world around them was doing. Why? One generation. One, one generation. Did not know and did not serve and didn't remind the next generation about the greatness of this God. We see it in our own country. One or two generations and truths that we've held universally throughout the history of this country are now up for grabs. One generation. The, 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 the responsibility and the task, the importance of the home cannot be understated. For our generation, for the next generation, and generations to come. And you see it on your handout, the truth. We see clearly here that when the knowledge of God is preserved in a community by those who have personally experienced God's power, faith is nourished and obedience is flourish, flourishes. But it's going to come from a people who have seen and tasted that the Lord is good and can't wait to tell their kids of that and can't wait to tell their neighbor's kids and can't, can't wait to tell every generation. And the context for that is the family. And, and before, you, before you feel totally overwhelmed and alone here, point two is this. Point two, I, I want to come alongside us here and, and remind us that the church has a biblical mandate to come alongside families and equip families to fulfill their God-given roles, to help them do this. That, that's why we're looking for a family pastor. That, we want to come alongside and help. That, that's Ephesians 4, 7 through 16. We won't read it, but he says, I've given some as apostles, some as teachers, some as all these things. Why? To equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. My job is to equip you, to help you to do what God has tasked you with doing in your home. It's not for me to do it all. It's not for me to hire a trained professional to do it all. My job is to equip the parents to do their work at home. And then when, you, when I have your kids or when our family, he's coming alongside and simply aiding what you've been doing hopefully all week. But the church is not absolved. And, and again, last, two weeks ago, I apologized because I said, you know, if our, if our children abandon the Lord, you know, don't call me. And, and that, was, that was harsh and unloving. And I, and I said that and I, I meant something behind it, but I didn't get to communicate it. The, the point is this. I see the surveys and 70% of all the kids leaving. Out, da, 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 and everyone just blames the church. My fear is the problem is in the homes of the people that are blaming the church. That's the problem. Have the churches failed? Have we failed? Have we aided and abetted in an idea that, oh, you know, we'll just bring them to us and the trained professionals and we'll take care of them. We're going to hand you back them. We probably have, and forgive us for that. But, but my job 
The job of this staff is to equip you to do the work of the ministry. And, and in my frustration about that, I, I, I spoke out of it was not loving, and, and please forgive me. Please call me if your kids do not love the Lord. That's not what I was trying to say. I mean, I'm a people pleaser uh, as high as the rest of them. I, I want your kids to, to know and to see the greatness of this God as much as I do for my kids. All I'm saying is we as parents have to be prepared to look in the mirror and give an account for what, what role might we have played in that. Did we make the things of God, did we make this gospel, did we make this word of God a priority? Even this, did we make in our family church a priority because it is equipping you to do the job God has called you to do? Did we make, maybe they don't attend very much because they saw a mom and dad that it really wasn't a priority. Maybe they saw a lot of things competing for their parents' attention on Sunday and maybe that's the exact attitude that they're modeling. And I realize that hits close to home. Look, my kids don't have a choice. Y'all pay me to be here. My kids are coming. Whether they want to or not. Because I, I, I got to put a good picture up. I got to put a good front up. You know, hey, our kids are coming. The bachelor's here. No, I want them to love it. I don't want them to come just because dad's the pastor. That's my battle in my home too. And what I'm trying to say is this. You'll see it in your handout. The church is secondary, but no less necessary in raising uh, children and generations that love the Lord. You, you as a family have to understand that the church is not optional. What we do on Sundays is to help you do what you're doing the rest of the week. And when that becomes optional, believe me, your kids see it. Believe me, they catch the vibe from mom and dad that church is, we didn't have anything else to do this week, so we're going to go to church. Kids get that. They're smart. We, we in our own lives, mom and dad, and everything even that we do here as a church, we don't want anything to compete with the Lord. We want, as we see, and we're going to see next week, Lord willing, in a study of Colossians. One word I want us to think about in that study, unrivaled. We want our love for the Lord, and we want our kids' love for the Lord, and we want future generations' love for the Lord to be unrivaled. Unrivaled, no competitors. And what we see as you put Scripture together is that individual believers, you see it on a handout, and the community of believers called the local church are in this together. We're in this together. But, but it extends beyond me and a staff to, to every single person in this church. Every single believer. Whether you're a parent, whether your kids are still in the home, whether you're single, whether you're widowed, whether you're whatever it is, we're in this together. And, and what you see is that no matter your stage or your circumstance, you see the importance of you passing on truth to the next generation. Even in 1 Corinthians 7, it talks about singleness. And what does he say? The one who is unmarried, single, is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But the one who is married has a divided interest. He's saying, pour yourself into others. Pour yourself into ministry. If you're here today and you're single, if, for whatever reason, pour yourself into ministry. Pour yourself into kids around you. If you're here and married, pour yourself into your kids. But you know what? Pour yourself into my kids. I want my children to grow up and see godly men all over the place who love the Lord and godly women who 
all over the place love the Lord, not just in their home. This is so much bigger than just Karen and Chris. This is a generation. This is a, 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 they want, I want them to know they're not alone. In every stage. It, it even translates, I thought about this week, it even translates to our call for fostering and adoption. Offering children who do not have stable families the gift of a stable family. Why? With the goal of sharing the gospel. Three, three different foster children have been in our homes this summer. None of them, none of them knew the gospel. None of them. Sitting at the table and introducing to some kids to, to this great God and reading to them and teaching to them. Showing them, modeling them what a, what a husband looks like and what a, what a wife looks like that they may or may not, for whatever circumstance, I'm not blaming the parents, for whatever circumstances they may not be seeing currently. It, it all ties together. It's a community endeavor. And then bringing those foster children here and them looking around and seeing other families who are doing the same things. It's a huge, it's together. And the point is what we, whether it's, whether it's, you know, you look at Titus 2, older men teaching younger men and older women teaching younger men. And we have a hand-in-hand ministry that is doing a phenomenal job at that. Fellowship 3, grow groups, whatever it is, the goal is to do life together. The goal is to encourage one another to hang in there together. And the goal here is whatever we do, you see it on your handout, in our gatherings, it is to point children back to their parents as the leaders of their home and equip mom and dad to do the work. What we see here is huge. Got seven minutes. It's huge. This is, not, this is not just going through the motions. You know, it's not, well, they, they know my heart over my actions. No, they see your actions, and your actions are what they're going to model. Because what, what I want for us, if I was to, 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 to sum it up, is Deuteronomy 4.9, Only give heed to yourself and keep your soul diligently, so that you do not forget the things which your eyes have seen, and they do not depart from your heart all the days of your life but make them known to your sons and your grandsons. If the Lord tarries and if, I, if He's numbered my days such that, that maybe one day I have grandchildren, what deposit am I making my children that they're going to make in those grandchildren? Are those grandchildren going to look back at their mom and dad who are then are going to look back to their mom and dad and say, why, why didn't you tell me? Why would you allow me to waste my life on things that don't matter? Things that don't last. Deuteronomy 11, 18 and 19. You shall therefore impress these words of mine on your heart and on your soul, and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. Again, teach them to your sons, talking of them when they sit in your house and when they walk along the road and when they lie down. Write them on the doorposts. He, 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 he reminds them of the same thing he told them in Deuteronomy 6. Why? Because God's design for the preservation of his revelation is the family. It's the family. Joel 1.3, tell your children of it and let your children tell their children and their children tell another generation. And before you say, well, Chris, that's a lot of Old Testament. 
Paul says the same exact model in Colossians 3 and, and Ephesians 6. The pri priority of the home. The home. And we have to. We have to have a long-range vision for our families and our discipleship and the purpose of the home. Four generations. All throughout the Word, everywhere I've showed you, there was generation after generation after generation. Your failure to take these things seriously, our failure, my failure, to obey this Word and, and fulfill our role, not only affects my generation, but it affects generations to come. And again, no guarantees, and that's why on the handout, in this we hope and build our lives, and we seek to build our lives of our children, so that the next generation might, might know God. No guarantees. I can't guarantee that my children will, will grow up and love the Lord with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. And even in the text, the writer of this, of this psalm says that, that the generation to come might know the Lord. Or they'll know the Lord. Will they, will they follow? At least they'll be turning away from something they know. No guarantees. I can't guarantee that every kid is going gonna, is gonna to grow up and, and, and be strong and mighty and immovable in these truths. But I, but I can guarantee you this. We're going to do everything we can to make sure we try. And, and so in closing, as we, as we hand this off, I, I, I pray that, that we'll assume responsibility as parents. I pray that we as a church will... We'll do everything we can collectively. And in the same way that Psalm 78, verse 7, the same way that he kind of ends with a question, with a, with a really statement there, question, I want to ask us this. You see it on your handout. What will future generations know and think about God because of you and me? What will future generations know and think about the Lord because of you and me? Because of our time spent here at Odessa. What, what are you and I going to pass on to future generations about God and the hope that we have through Christ? That's what we have to keep in mind. In our homes and in our gatherings. This is not only about this generation. This is about generations to come. What, what will they know? What will they have handed to them about God because of what we've done here?